The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a special guest. Sam Horn is known as America's intrigue expert. She's a communications expert and author of best-selling books, which include Tung Fu, Pop, Create the Perfect Pitch, Title, Tagline for Anything. She's the creator of the eyebrow test. Now, She's going to have to tell us what that is. And she's a very well-known pitch coach for entrepreneurs with some amazing successes. Sam, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Cheryl. I've been looking forward to sharing some ideas with your listeners. Absolutely. We're so glad to have you here. Where are you today? I am sitting uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. on a perfect fall day overlooking the lake. Oh, nice. You travel a lot. (laughs) You know, I do, although I love it. Uh, I'm blessed to do work I love that matters and get to work with wonderful people. So you bet I kind of travel all over the world to uh, share these messages with audiences. Well, so you're known as America's intrigue expert. That in itself is intriguing. (laughs) When when I have have seen you speak, I I just love the way your energy comes through. You are so enthusiastic, and people respond so well to you. They want more from you. So tell us a bit about what the intrigue is about. Well, thank you, and it really crystallized the first year of the Maui Writers Conference. Uh, We had given authors an unprecedented opportunity to jump the chain of command. So if you were an author, you could actually pitch your novel to Robert Loomis, who is Senior VP of Random House. His clients are Maya Angelou and Woody Allen. But what we didn't anticipate, Cheryl, is that in these 10-minute pitch meetings, all the agents and editors would ask one question – What's your book about? And people would go, wah, 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 wah. And (laughs) they would talk themselves out of a deal. And it was really heartbreaking to see because they could have a brilliant manuscript, but it was never going to see the light of day because they hadn't crystallized in 60 seconds or less what the book was about in a way that actually intrigued people or got their eyebrows up so they wanted to know more. So that's when I started putting together these techniques on how we can get across what we care about in 60 seconds or less so people care about it too. You know, it's interesting that um, one thinks that writers, because they're so good at communicating the word, that they would be able to sum up their book pretty easily, and, and yet not happening. You know, isn't it, of course, the cobbler's kids don't have shoes, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, I'll always remember one woman came out of her 10-minute pitch, and she had tears in her eyes, and I asked what happened. And she said, you know, I, I gave the agent my 300-page manuscript, and he took one look at it, and he said, I don't have time to read all that. You know, tell me in one minute why someone would want to read it. And she said, my mind went blank. She said, I thought it was my job to write it. I thought it was their job to sell it. And I think that's where we're a little bit naive is that, you know, we think that if we have a valuable product or that if we do a good job on a project or that if we have a beneficial service that it will speak for itself. And, no, it really is our job to crystallize it in a really compelling way so that other people get how valuable it is. Hmm. So tell us, Sam, what got you interested to begin with in your career in communications in general? You know, I was really lucky. Out of college, I was recruited to go back to Sea Pines Plantation on Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. And while I was there, I'd grown up in a small town on the back of a horse. And, you know, back then you read movie magazines and you see all these rich and famous and beautiful people. And and you just kind of assume they all have it together and that they have life by their tail. And, and, you know, on Hilton Head, I had an opportunity to work with Rod Laver, and we put on national tennis camps. And I got to meet many of these, the rich, famous, beautiful people of the time. And I was so surprised to find that many of them were not particularly happy. They were not particularly confident. They didn't particularly like their lives, even though they, quote, unquote, had it all. And so I started interviewing people. And what I wanted to know was, what does it take to create a quiet core of confidence we carry with us wherever we go? that is not situational, that does not depend on who we're with or where we are. And I started putting together programs on that and writing about it and speaking about it. And uh, the very first one I did, 16 people came up afterwards and said, please come speak at our convention or please come share these ideas with our employees at our corporation. And that launched my speaking career. Wow. Well, and it's interesting that even at that age, you know, right out of college, you were able to assess that. You know, not everybody has that intuitive sense. You know, it's interesting you say that, Cheryl, because I know one of the – that you focus a lot on leadership and you ask a lot of W questions about, you know, who is a leader who's influenced you and when is a time you've been a leader and influenced someone else and – And the first person to really um, crystallize for me the importance of doing work we loved was my dad. Um, It was time to go to college, and and, and all my teachers and career counselors were suggesting that I be a lawyer or a doctor to use my mind. But I wanted to study, wait for it, (laughs) recreation administration. (laughs) Uh (laughs) You know, I'd I'd played tennis and lots of sports, and I'd – was uh, earning money, putting on recreation department uh, programs, and I felt it was really important, although people thought it was a joke career. My uncle said, what, are you going to study underwater basket weaving? And I was very fortunate because that was a a crucial crossroads, and my dad uh, introduced me to the quote by Goethe or W.H. Murray that talks about Boldness has genius in it, and 
you know, and when we don't know what to do, number one, do the bolder of the options, and number two, make sure that what you're doing is in alignment with your heart, not just your head, that you go with your gut. So I, I did study recreation administration, and, and that led to the job on Hilton Head, and that led to a job uh, at Regency Racquet Club in Washington, D.C., and my whole life has been a series of stepping stones of, of working with people I respect and enjoy, doing work that I love, that I am good at, and um, all as a result of that critical decision to believe that it's, it's not frivolous to do work that's in alignment with our instincts and our interests. It is um, a responsibility. Well, now, you know, you do a lot of work with entrepreneurs and helping them to really hone their pitch for any project that they're working on. And I want to get into the details of that in a minute. But before that, tie for us together how that sense of, doing what matters to you, you know, you, you decided what mattered to you and what you really are passionate about, tie that to how you teach your entrepreneurs how to create a good pitch. <laughs> so good question. So, so let's frame this um, and, and what I call this so that people, it, it really does become clear and they think about how this operates in their life. Mm. Um, my sons went to Virginia Tech, and uh, they came home for the holidays, and we're having dinner, and Andrew says, oh, Mom, he said, it was kind of interesting. I ran into Ryan last night. I'd been thinking about him and wondering what he was up to. There he was, out of the blue. I said, oh, Andrew, that wasn't out of the blue. He <laughs> <laughs> said, when we, when we run into somebody that well, we've been thinking about, that's called serendipity, and some people call them happy accidents. I don't think they're accidents, though. I think that you're supposed to connect with Brian, with Ryan about something. And Andrew was just really intrigued, and he came to me later that night, and he said, Mom, he said, I really love that concept of serendestiny. <laughs> so for the last couple years, I've been speaking and writing about serendestiny, and I define serendestiny as leading a life where the light is on in our eyes because we're doing what we love most and do best. Mm. And, and, you know, I, Cheryl, I think you're leading a life where, you're, where the light's on in your eyes. You're doing what you love most and do best. And I do not think that this is a Pollyanna pipe dream. I do not think that it's only something we do, quote-unquote, when we retire or when we have more time or when we're not so busy. I think that if we're alert to certain factors, if we're alert to what lights us up, if we're alert to when we're in our wheelhouse, if we're alert to when we are productive and we feel proud of, of what we've produced, that, that we can start turning our passion into a profession that we get paid to do so that we literally don't have to work a day in our life because we're kind of in that Tony Bennett zone where, you know, people, reporters keep asking Tony Bennett, you know, well, when are you going to retire? And he looks at them like they're crazy, and it's like, <laughs> why would I retire? You know, I, I love my life. Why would I want to quit this? 
And that's one of the signs we're in serendestiny. <laughs> I love that term. That's great. That's great. <laughs> so these entrepreneurs that you help, I find this fascinating. Um, you're the pitch coach for mm-hmm. Springboard Enterprises, and this is a, a group of uh, – it's an organization that helps entrepreneurs receive startup funding um, for their project, right? Yes, correct. You have done something unbelievable. You have helped entrepreneurs receive $5.5 billion in funding. That's billion with a B. So you have had huge impact not only on individuals, but I dare say on the economy, on perhaps, you know, the way that People are using different products, et cetera. I mean, you, you really, your, your impact really ripples out. So talk about this whole process and how you help entrepreneurs. You know, Cheryl, first, thank you for that. And, and I really am reaching out to everyone who's listening because what I discovered is there was a gap. See, we can, we can love uh, riding. We can love riding horses. We can love... Um, you know, fixing cars, and just because we love something, just because we have an idea, just because we have a product, you know, or a book, doesn't mean that other people are going to want it or value it or understand how it could benefit them. So I really understood that we need to get good at pitching, and many people feel that pitching is just something you do if you're in advertising or sales. But in a way, we are all pitching every single time we make a request or a recommendation. You know, every time we we have an idea for a business and we need funding, every time we, you know, have um, an idea that we want to get approved, every time we have a program we want people to sign up for, essentially we're pitching. So I have developed uh, a set of very innovative, these are all original techniques that I've created that help you pitch effectively, especially in a way that stands out, that is unlike anyone else, so that even if you're competing against other people who have good products or good ideas, yours will pop out. So shall I give you a quick example of that? Sure, absolutely. Well, as you said, I I have the pleasure and the privilege of being the pitch coach for Springboard. And as you said, Springboard has helped women entrepreneurs from Gail Goodman of Constant Contact to Robin Chase of Zipcar uh, received $5.5 billion in funding. And one of my clients was Kathleen Callender. And Kathleen had created something called PharmaJet. Now, if you asked Kathleen what PharmaJet was, originally she used to talk about medical delivery devices and subcutaneous inoculations. Now, are your eyebrows knit and furrowed, Cheryl? <laughs> <laughs> You know, no. <laughs> see, when we're confused, we don't get something. And see, confused people don't say yes. So here is a 60-second pitch we helped uh, her come up with because she, she had come to me. All of, she was kind of happy and she was upset. She was happy because she was going to be pitching a room full of investors at the Paley Center in New York City. She was unhappy because she'd found out she only had 10 minutes. And she said, Sam, you can't say anything in 10 minutes. I mean, how am I supposed to talk about our, our, our invention, about our team credentials, about our competitive analysis, about our exit? 
And I said, Kathleen, you don't have 10 minutes. You're number 16. They will have already heard 15 10-minute pitches. Their eyes are going to be glazed over at that point. You've got 60 seconds to get their eyebrows up. So here's that pitch that not only helped her get millions in funding, it helped her be selected as one of Business Week's most promising social entrepreneurs of 2010. Did you know there are 1.8 billion vaccinations given every year? Did you know half of those are given with reused needles? Did you know we're spreading and perpetuating the very diseases we're trying to prevent? Imagine if there were a painless, one-use needle for a fraction of the current cost. You don't have to imagine it. We've created it, in fact, in this article, and she's off and running. Now, are you intrigued, Cheryl? <laughs> Absolutely. That is brilliant. And, now, and, and you helped her do that in how much time? Well, she that was the 60-second opening for her pitch. And when we work together, what I do when I work with clients is I interview them. I do a deep dive into their material. Mm-hmm. So now what are they bringing to the table? You know, what are the unique uh, benefits of this? What are the problems that they're solving? What is the need that they're meeting? And our goal now is to, and, and if people are listening, as long as they're not driving, go ahead and get paper and pin out. Now think about an idea you have, a product you have, you know, a leadership a project that you want to head up, you want to get the green light, you want to get approved for funded. Now what are three did-you-know questions you could ask that your decision makers don't know? You know, what could you introduce, bring up as a question, not as a statement, you know, that goes to the scope of the problem or the urgency of the issue or the size of the market? Now attribute it, like to Wall Street Journal, so this is a, a reputable source. Now do you see what we've done, and when I, help, I work with clients or audiences, is don't start by telling people what you're going to tell them. They're already bored. That's one way communication. <laughs> That's a monologue. You know, turn it into a dialogue by asking these three questions and earning busy, skeptical people's attention because now they're already smarter than they were 10 seconds before. Now, the second step is to bridge with that word imagine because we pull people out of preoccupation with that word to see now they're picturing our point they're seeing what we're saying instead of being distracted. Now link it to three best-case scenario aspects. So when you think about Kathleen Callender, what did her decision-makers care about? Well, they cared about those reused needles, so it was one use. They cared about those painful inoculations, so it was painless. And, of course, almost all decision-makers care about money, so it's a fraction of the current cost. So do you see how we distilled into one succinct sentence a best-case scenario where people are thinking, well, who wouldn't want that? <laughs> that is brilliant. So, and, then, and then if people are taking notes, bridge into one more step, use those magic words. You don't have to imagine it. We've created it. Now you're letting them know that this isn't pie in the sky, this isn't speculative. Come in with your precedents and your evidence to prove 
that this is a done deal and you're the one to deliver it. I love that. Well, <laughs> Sam, they don't call you America's intrigue expert for nothing. <laughs> this is this is absolutely brilliant. We have more to talk about with Sam Horn when we come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Tune in for What About Wealth every week to learn the vital answers to your questions about creating wealth, investing it, donating it, and protecting it. Your hosts are Rich Bloomfield and Rick Durfee, who explain the principles that govern wealth in terms you can understand. Building and preserving positive wealth requires correct action, but few people know how wealth really works. Listen every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find the answers you need about wealth. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Cheryl Esposito with our special guest today, Sam Horn, known as America's Intrigue Expert. Okay, Sam, so in the last segment, boy, you sure piqued our interest and got us all wound up about how you do this. This is fascinating. Now, there's a lot of leaders who listen to leading conversations, people in organizations, people who are in Fortune 500, small organizations, entrepreneurs, people who are professionals, and Everyone has something that they want to convince, present, um, enroll people into ideas. So let's talk about leaders in organizations. You know, what is it that you can say to them that makes this useful, this whole process that you have been describing? How can it be useful for them. You can't go around every single day saying, did you know, did you know, did you know, <laughs> or can you? <laughs> what a great question, Cheryl. It's uh, Well, uh, what I'm going to suggest is that leaders actually follow Jerry Garcia's advice of the Grateful Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry Garcia said, it is not enough to be considered the best at what you do. You must be considered to be the only one who does oh. what you do. <laughs> oh. So, you know, so I believe as a leader, 
it's a very crowded marketplace. You know, if, as in an industry, you know, chances are that, uh, you know, we have a lot of competitors who are offering similar products or, yes. or services that are much like ours. So how can we really pop out of our pack and get noticed? So I'll give you an example about how I believe a leader um, can use this. And in fact, then I'll give a, a wonderful success story, once again, of a leader of an organization that was able to land millions in contracts because he mm-hmm. used one of these techniques I'm about to share. Mm. So first, let's set it up uh, because we're going to be talking about something that I've created called the seven P's of strategic positioning. And I really do believe, once again, that as a leader, one of our responsibilities is to position our business, our products, our services, our programs as one of a kind instead of one of many. So how do we do that? Well, um, here are the seven Ps. And here's a quick little story to set it up to showcase how it works and the power of it and the importance of it and the ROI of it. Then I'll give another example of how a client used this uh, to great success. Uh, Cheryl, have you been to Hawaii recently? Um, actually, yes. Oh, so now when you were there, uh, did you know that 10 years ago the scuba industry was tanking? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Some of these I just do for myself, Cheryl. <laughs> and now if our business is, is tanking, so to speak, it's probably because there's a lot of barriers to entry. And I have a process for how, uh, you know, we are probably one of many. We're probably getting lost in the crowd instead of standing out of the crowd. We are probably blending in instead of breaking out. And so this was the case with the scuba industry. So here's how you can use the seven Ps of strategic positioning in order to turn around a business that is not earning up to its potential. So the first P is purpose. Now, the purpose of the scuba industry was to get more customers, new customers. Actually, I think that's all of our purposes in business, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Now, it's interesting because the next P is person. And now we start thinking about, okay, who is the person who we're targeting or who buys and tries our products or services? Now, this is where it gets really interesting because about 30 years ago when families went to Hawaii, Who in the family made the decision about how to spend their time? Who would you guess? I would guess mom. Well, 30 years ago, probably dad. But 20 years ago, you're absolutely right. It was the moms. Now, things have changed, though, because in the last 10 years, guess who in the family decides how they spend their time? Oh, the kids. The kids. (laughs) Houston, we have a problem. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Kids can't go scuba diving. (laughs) You know, no wonder your business is not performing up to its potential. You're on the verge of being obsolete. So now, see, once you know the person you're trying to market to or target, now the next P is problems. You start asking them, well, what problems do you have with our business or product or service? Why wouldn't you try us or buy us? And that's how you uncover all the barriers to entry. Well, you know, you ask a 12-year-old kid what the barriers to entry are to scuba diving, and it's, well, they can't carry those heavy oxygen tanks on their back, and they can't go down 100 feet and equalize their ears, and mm. they can't afford it, and they can't get, they can't get certified. Right. 
So, see, now once you know all the problems that your target person has with your product, the next thing you go to is premise. Premise is it doesn't have to be that way. There's a better way. How about a new way? What if there were a cheaper way, a faster way, a safer way? So you turn all those barriers on their head. You know, what if it were different? So now it's like, hmm, well, maybe you don't have to carry those oxygen tanks on your back. Maybe you can leave them on the boat, and you can just run along air hose, like put them in your mouth, kind of like a little snorkel. Then you don't have to go down 100 feet. You can go down 10 feet and swim with the hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-hoom-
so fascinating. <laughs> so can you can anybody do something like this? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Is that Cheryl? As you know, I when I work with clients and audiences, it's it's not just on on how to be one of a kind instead of one of many leaders, or it's not just how to write a book that breaks out instead of blends in, or it's how to how to speak, because I really do believe that we cannot be an effective leader if we are not an effective communicator. So here's an example of a leader who did land millions in contracts by using these seven Ps, is that he was head of the health care division of one of the largest Six Sigma organizations in the world. And he had called me. He said, Sam, I got good news, bad news. The good news, I've been asked to speak at a Harvard Medical Conference Bad news, I'm going on the last day. <laughs> now, have you ever been to a medical conference before, Cheryl? I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> They're not always the most scintillating conferences, are they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, they are, you know that I've, I believe in a world called infobesity, and I think people uh, are suffering from infobesity. And I, I told them, I said, we cannot guarantee how many people will be in your room. We can guarantee that every person there is going to get more value than they dreamed possible and that they'll be intrigued and engaged from start to finish. So here's – now, do you know what Six Sigma is, Cheryl? Yes, absolutely. And many people listening to this also know what Six Sigma is. Well, good. So, so everyone's on board with Six Sigma, which of course is identifying, you know, errors or um, mistakes or um, oversights in a system that are undermining its effectiveness and profits, and then putting in systems and processes to streamline that and eliminate those areas, errors, and expedite their success. So, so. Um, I, I was looking for how we could f- frame and format this as one of a kind, and I said, do you have any hobbies, like are you a pilot or do you run triathlons or anything, you know? And he said, Sam, I'm on the road six days a week, you know, I don't have time for hobbies. I said, how about you and your wife, you know, do you do any anything interesting? He says, you know, what do you do with your free time? He says, well, every once in a while we watch TV. I said, well, like, what's your favorite program? He said, Law and Order. Bingo! I knew what the title was. You ready? Okay. Flaw and order. Flaw. Flaw. F L A W. Flaw and order. Perfect. I mean, see, isn't it? I mean, are your eyebrows up? Do you want to know more? Absolutely. <laughs> so, see, then of course, you know, if you're looking at a conference brochure, blah 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 blah, they're all looking very boring. They're all looking like infobesity. Then you see flaw and order. And, of course, you know, we had the dum-dum, we had the music, and, and then we designed his session to identify the three top culprits that were compromising, uh, you know, profits in healthcare and, and patients' service, and, and uh, we revealed the culprits and we solved the mystery. And are you ready? He got a standing ovation at the end of his session at a wow. Harvard Medical Conference. And even more importantly, most of the people in the room came up to him afterwards, gave him their card, and said, this was the best session I've ever been to. Please get in touch with us next week. We'd like to talk with you about coming in and working with us in our uh, healthcare system. That's great. And you know why I love that, Cheryl, is because 
you know, I know as leaders, many of us have an opportunity to speak, whether it's at a Chamber of Commerce luncheon or a networking event or a, a B&I meeting or our professional association conference or a board meeting. And I really believe we can have a brilliant idea. We can have a beneficial product. You know, we can have a valuable service. And if we have not honed the skills to be intriguing and to be concise and to crystallize and communicate a compelling competitive edge. It may be in one ear, out the other. We may be out of sight and out of mind instead of top of mind. Well, that, I mean, I know how intensely academic and how fact-based <laughs> and theory-based some of those presentations at medical conferences or, you know, fill in the blank, many other conferences that, you know, are on technical expertise, how they can be. And for this man to be able to capture the attention, hold the attention, create the um, desire for more is so unusual. Sam, you know, what you're doing is revolutionary. Well, you're making my day, Cheryl. And, and you know, it's interesting because Seth Godin, of course, who's written Tribes and Lynchpin, yes. and, you know, he, it's, um, you know, Seth is, uh, has to read a book before he'll give an endorsement. Right. And I was, I was so um, grateful and honored when he gave an endorsement to POP that said that it is revolutionary and that words matter, every one of them, and that POP revolutionizes the way we use them. And thank you, that's, that's my goal, is that it, you know, it, it just hurt my heart 20 years ago at that first Maui Writers Conference to see mm. people who had poured their life, soul, savings into you know, a screenplay or a book and it would never succeed at the level it deserved if they couldn't communicate why it was worth reading. And so I'm kind of a woman on a mission. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of corporate leaders, whether it's Cisco or Intel or EO or NASA. And, and we want to, you know, what do you care about? What do you believe in? What, what do you think would add value in the world? Now, how can you communicate that? in a way that captures attention in the get-go, that gets across what you care about so other people care about it and are motivated to act on it, that really is the essence of leadership, is to mobilize others into action. Communication is the vehicle for making that happen. Sam Horn, we are so honored to have you here. We have one more segment. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're with David Wagner. So, David, talk more about Daymaker. Well, I think what's what's really, really important about it is the, like I said, about choosing to be a daymaker. And what I find that most people, you know, when they read the book or when they see the word daymaker, they say, oh, that's me, but I didn't know what to call it. Or that's my husband or that's my friend, but I didn't know what to call it. So to to really be a daymaker, what's great about it is it, it doesn't require a six-week class. You don't have to become a certified daymaker. You don't, you know, you don't get a degree in daymaking. And the greatest example that I can share is when I first published my book, I, I self-published it and had 2,000 copies made and basically gave it to 400 employees in our company right before the holiday. And one of my employees called me shortly after the Christmas season, and she said, I want to have coffee with you. So I went and had coffee, and she said, you know, I have an 84-year-old grandfather that's been married to my grandmother for 51 years, and he's a curmudgeon. No one ever remembers him being kind or paying a, a compliment to her. So I gave him your book for Christmas, and he said, what is this? And she said, it's Life is a Daymaker. My boss wrote it, and he set it down. And between Christmas and New Year's, he must have read the book because on New Year's Eve, he made his wife of 51 years her first candle at dinner and wrote a poem using her name, which if you go, uh, if you read my book, you'll understand why, and gave her this poem. And my employee now is crying, I'm crying, and she said something 
really important. She said, you know what, David, he could pass tomorrow now and we'd be okay. And I said, wow, he decided 51 years married, 84 years old, he's going to be remembered as the daymaker. And he passed about 10 years ago. And his poem, the poem that he wrote to his wife, keeps getting copied off and given to more grandkids. He's going to be remembered as a daymaker. And that's the that's the important thing, I think, about daymaking is that it really is just deciding to fill yourself up in the morning, make your own day first, can't give away what you don't have, and then simply just going out and waiting for the universe to present itself in that opportunity. So I, I, it, that's the, the simplest thing that I can tell people is be a daymaker and the doing will come natural. I love that. So let's go back for a minute. I'm curious about, um, you know, you are so much about living in the moment and being um, present and being grateful for where you are right now. And then you have the juxtaposition of helping your daughters decide where do you want to go to college, what's important to you for later. Um, you know, how how is that how does that play out? That's a great, great question because I, I find myself, uh, I live in the moment, but I plan for the future. Uh-huh. It's not getting... But talk about not, that because I think some people well, are... Well, I, I think it's important to, I mean, my life, I, 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 have, uh, I have a lot of goals written down, aspirations, things that I need to plan on. You know, we run a fairly large enterprise here with 400 employees and I right. I need to be... They need stability and security and, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't get stuck in rigidity and repetitive, you know, just a fix, you know, where I'm living in a fixative state. Everything I like in a three-ring binder because if it's not working, I like tearing it right. out and reinventing it. So right. I think that, you know, living in the moment um, is within, you know, I I can visualize what 10 years from now is going to look like. I love living 20 years from now. And I gravitate, my my conscience kind of gravitates toward that thing, but I let it go. You know, there's things that I wrote down 10 years ago that I, you know, dreamed about being, doing, and having. And some have come true because I gravitated that way and some aren't important to me anymore. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's living in the moment and being in the moment means that, you know, it's really living in the moment. I can plan for the future, but I, I don't live in the moment as if that's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I, I allow myself the flexibility to change. And, and I also find, I mean, I get totally bored if it's too predictable. Right. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a security and a stability in knowing mm-hmm. what's going to happen. But at the same time, uh, I, love, uh, I love spontaneity and shifting and, and being, you know, being flexible and having yeah. that intuition that I need to move this way or that way. That's the artist in you. Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm a, I'm also a Taurus, which is real grounded, and mm-hmm. uh, so I, there's I, I do play off both uh, both energies. So, how are you helping your daughters look at the future? I I like for them to think about what their interests are and pursue those interests. Um, again, you know, all I all I can say is that I I, I would aspire to have happy children even in their 30s and 50s and 70s and that they that they don't settle on a job that they pursue their passion and that they can 
you know, feel like they're living their calling, that they've discovered their purpose in life. Part of the reason that we moved to Maui was to be part of the, the Waldorf community there, which is uh, really an interesting educational system, yeah. which really um, allows, you know, your incarnation to come to some realization in, in this lifetime. And, uh, you know, I know that I can't dictate what's going to be my children's calling, although I can help guide them toward the, the talent and the experiences that they're going to need to pursue their 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 uh, interests. So I, I, I there's a great Chinese proverb which is a river without banks is a puddle. Mm. So I try to steer their energy. I don't try to dictate it, yeah. but I try to provide the banks, you know, toward an outcome that uh, is going to make them fulfilled and happy mm. and world citizens. That's beautiful. And so, I have to. I mean, the the greatest thing that I can do for my children is to pursue it myself. They might have different interests, but if they see me pursuing my calling and living in that, they'll yes. aspire. They'll aspire to have that same fulfillment in their life. Yes. Yes. And we all we all know it. We can see it with musicians or sports stars or you know the the barista at Starbucks. You can tell if that's where the, you know their station in life is and what's appealing is their place in it and. Uh, you know how sad it is to see people that that are celebrated but bored. Absolutely, and we all know we've seen people who are parents who say to their kids, um, "Don't do things the way I did. Do it differently." Or that do I'm doing. Way, or that I'm doing. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. If I could start over, I'd do this, but I've got three years till retirement. So, you know, yeah. the, the most impressive people that we have coming into our company uh, gave up lucrative careers in something they were bored at that were a job and they went to massage school or they went to be an esthetician or they always wanted to be a hairdresser but their parents told them they needed a degree and you know and they you know in their 30s and 40s and 50s are choosing to come into the beauty industry which was something that they were called to when they were 18 but afraid to do or that society didn't uh, support that so it's it's uh it's great to be able to be in a business that we can live you know, in an artful way and still make a human connection and feel like we're transforming the world with beauty, acts of beauty, as well as, uh, you know, really great haircuts and colors and makeup. You know, I have had the pleasure of meeting your beautiful wife, Charlie, and just quickly, she has started creating her own clothing line, and there's something special about these clothes. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, she's she's totally connected to nature as well, and, and and probably more so than myself. She she loves her hands in the dirt and so on. So she she dyes her own fabrics and she paints with uh, twigs and leaves and so on and so forth. So she's um, uh, creating uh, fabrics that are you know naturally dyed, painted with uh, with elements of nature and so on. And it's, it's really exciting to see her living. Uh, living into that and people, uh, you know, recognizing that there's an authenticity to that clothing as well. And it kind of goes to what I was saying about designers. It's, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell that it's a burdock root leaf that she painted this dress with, but it's got this beautiful, you know, pattern that has this natural order to it. Yeah. But you wouldn't you wouldn't pick it up as being a leaf. It's exactly. uh, it's quite remarkable. So, and there's a you know people are resonating with the the colors and the and the the patterns and and the shapes that she's yeah. designing as well. It's exciting. Well, it's, it's fun to watch it her uh, play. 
Well, it is exciting, and um, I have seen those clothes. I have I've seen her wearing those clothes, and um, seen her showing some of those clothes. And you're right; you cannot, you would not distinguish them as something that different. And they're beautiful. I mean, people are attracted to them right away. You know, people say, "Oh, that's where did you get that?" You know, "Oh, I made that." <laughs> she's and she's quite um, humble about that. You know, but yeah. very well. It's to also fun that. to watch her. She's uh, she's a master distiller as well. She distills plants and flowers, and mm. um, to be able to take this plant life source and divide it into hydrosol waters and oils, and you know, she. She lives with these plants through the transmission and through the transformation into oil and water. And then when you smell it and you touch, you know, and you you wear it, it's this wonderful uh, reminder of her tie to it. It's 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 remarkable. It's uh, the aromas and the the spirit of the flowers come through yeah. because they're gently brought through this process um, of distillation that is um, it's wonderful. Fun stuff. Our kids, our kids are uh, have quite a diverse uh, life as far as what's around them and created, and uh, be interesting to see where they where they gravitate toward. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they're designers I, as well. I mean, they they love uh, they sketch and design. We went to Taiwan. Uh, my book was published in Chinese a few years ago, and oh. uh, we went there, and they got with a uh, a sewer a seamstress and. And uh, brought their designs and made patterns and and started their own little line of uh, product or you know things that they were doing, which you know for being 13 and 16, they what a great experience for them to see that's where they want to play. They love texture and you know the, the natural fabrics and just the design and how it sure. yeah, it's it's remarkable. It's fun. So David, you are clearly demonstrating that you are committed in living transforming the world with beauty. We so appreciate having you here today. How can people learn more about you and acquire your book, and where, where can they go? The easiest is uh, daymakermovement.com. There's, uh, we put out newsletters. We blog. Uh, there's people that share their stories. There's uh, thousands and thousands of people all over the world that are part of it uh, and sharing you know, ideas on how to be a daymaker and so on. There's 50 ways you can be a daymaker that you can download for free. And you can purchase the book through there as well. And then Daymaker Movement on Facebook as well. There's uh, that that gets updated more regularly. Uh, but there's on the DaymakerMovement.com is the the blog and the newsletter and uh, book purchasing on there as well. Wonderful. Well, it's fun it's to be part of a tribe of of daymakers. Uh -huh. And you know, life as a daymaker is just that. The the, the book was. I didn't want to write a theoretical book. Um, yeah. I used to have two theories on raising kids. Now I have two kids. I don't have theories anymore. So it's it's my <laughs> it's my life as a daymaker. There's stories in there that resonate with people, but they're authentic and they're real. And uh, I, I think that there's lessons in that. So you'll find more of it on the on the website daymakermovement.com. Well, I love that practical and inspiring. David, thank you for being here. We so we, we're so privileged to have you. It's been you a privilege, you. and thank you for spreading the ripple of everything that's right in the world. It's it's uh, oh. quite a privilege. Thank you. Well, remember everyone to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito.
Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.